As uh, Jeff said, that's from Mel Brooks' movie, and uh, got to get all this stuff in order here. Now, the history of the world. And it's uh, pretty accurate according to what Moses tells about the Ten Commandments. And you might have figured out that today we're going to be reading, we have already, and we will be reading the Ten Commandments once again. Um, so that's a humorous sketch on the Ten Commandments. But it's also somewhat of a prophetic portrayal of the way our culture uh, considers the Ten Commandments today. Our culture tends to regard the Ten Commandments lightly as though they are a joke. But let me tell you that for God and Moses, the Ten Commandments were not a part of humor. Before we read our text for this morning, the narrative, let me set it in context for you. The children of Israel have been in slavery for 4,400 years. They've been released. God has brought them through the Exodus. They've traveled in the wilderness of Sinai for... Uh, 40 years, but before that, God gives Moses the Ten Commandments that he takes down to his, his people. And now, the children of Israel had done their 40 years of wandering. They're on the eastern side of the Jordan River. Moses has taken them up to Mount Nebo, and to this day, if you go to Mount Nebo, you can go there, and you go to the top of it, you look over and you see what was then called Canaan, the Promised Land. So he has them there. But he can't go into the promised land because back when the children of Israel were wandering, uh, they were thirsty, they had no water, and uh, God brought them to a place where there's water. It wasn't there. Moses got angry and he, he hit the rock with a big stick and uh, no water came out. And then God said to him, I told you to speak to the rock and the water would come out. And so he spoke to it and the water came out to, to water the animals and give drink to the people. But because of that disobedience, God says, you will not be able to go into the promised land. So Moses gives a sermon to the children of Israel on Mount Nebo. And what he wants to happen is he wants them to recommit themselves to the covenant with God as they go into this land of the pagans. And so he gives us, and this is in Deuteronomy. It's a portion of one of Moses' sermons. The book of Deuteronomy, by the way, is uh, Moses' sermons. That's basically what the book is, very long sermons. And this is one portion of one of Moses' sermons that we'll read in Exodus chapter, uh, I mean, not Exodus chapter 20. It's in Deuteronomy chapter 5. So that's the context. Before we read our text, let us pause for a moment of prayer. Loving and gracious God, the God who has revealed himself to us not only in the Old Testament, but in the actions, your actions, in the lives of the people in the New Testament. But we come to you today with this text, asking that you will open it up to our hearts and minds, that first we might understand it, and then we might find the courage and the strength to keep it. So bless us now as we hear your word read and proclaimed, and we're thankful in Christ's name. Amen. So Deuteronomy chapter 5, beginning at verse 1 through 22. Moses called out to all Israel, saying to them, and this is a very important introductory line, and you'll see its importance in a minute. Israel, listen to the regulations and the case law that I am recounting in your hearing right now. Learn them and carefully do them. 
The Lord our God made a covenant with us at Mount Horeb. Horeb is another name for Mount Sinai. Uh, at Mount Horeb, the Lord didn't make this covenant with our ancestors, but with us. And you'll notice that as Moses is giving this speech, it's 40 years later from when the Ten Commandments are given. But he's making it as though they were given to this group of people. Most of the people have already died. A new generation has been risen up. And Moses is saying, you receive the Ten Commandments. And so what he's doing is he's conflating those two events to say, in a way, symbolically, we have all received this revelation of God. Okay? Uh, the Lord spoke... Uh, where were we here? All of us. Yep. Um, this covenant with our ancestors, but with us, all of us who are here and alive right now. The Lord spoke with you face to face on the mountain from the very fire itself. At that time, I was standing between the Lord and you, declaring to you the Lord's word, because you were terrified of the fire and didn't go up on the mountain. The Lord said, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt and out of the house of slavery. You must have no other gods before me. Now he's starting into the Ten Commandments. That's the first one. Have no gods before me. Do not make an idol for yourself, no, no form whatsoever of anything that is in the sky above or on the earth below or on the waters under the earth. Do not bow down to them or worship them because I, the Lord your God, am a passionate God. I punish children for their, cho their parents' sins, even to the third and fourth generations to those who hate me. But I am loyal and gracious to the thousandth generation of those who love me and keep my commandments. Do not use the Lord your God's name as if it were of no significance. The Lord won't forgive anyone who uses his name that way. Keep the Sabbath day and treat it as holy, exactly as the Lord your God commanded. Six days you may work and do all your tasks, but on the seventh day is a Sabbath to the Lord your God. Don't do any work on it. Not, uh, not you, your sons or daughters, your male or female servants, your oxen or donkey, or any of your animals, or the immigrant who is living among you, so that your male and female servants can rest just like you. Remember that you were a slave in Egypt, but the Lord your God brought you out of there with a strong hand and outstretched arm. And that's why the Lord your God commands you to keep the Sabbath day. Honor your father and mother exactly as the Lord your God requires so that your life will be long and so that these things will go well for you on the fertile land that the Lord your God is giving you. Do not kill. Do not commit adultery. Do not steal. Do not testify falsely against your neighbor. Do not desire and try to take your neighbor's wife. Do not crave your neighbor's house, field, male or female servant, ox, donkey, or anything else that belongs to your neighbor. Those are the words of the Lord. Those are the words the Lord spoke to your entire assembly with a loud voice while on the mountain from the midst of the fire, the cloud, and the thick smoke. He added no more. God wrote them on two tablets and then gave them to me. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. So the sermon today is going to be a 10-mile high view of the Ten Commandments. It's going to be a large overview. We're not going to take each commandment individually. And I hear some, whew, yeah, it's not going to be that long. Uh, and it'd take us a long time to do that. But 
Uh, I'm going to focus on three main ideas that come out of the Ten Commandments that are captured in three words. They are uh, grace, community, and God. But here's how I'd like us to think about each one of those words. Here are the phrases I want to hang our thoughts on. The law is preceded by grace. The law forms and informs community. And the law reveals the character of God. We begin where the law begins with God's grace. So the law is preceded by grace. The first words of the Ten Commandments, as I pointed out, as I read the text, are, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the house of slavery. Further in the text, uh, in this sermon, further on, that we read a part of, Moses says to Israel, in the future your children will ask, what is the meaning of the law? that the Lord our God commanded you. God says, tell them, we were Pharaoh's slaves in Egypt, but the Lord brought us out of Egypt with a mighty hand. God defeated the strongest army in the world at that time, Pharaoh's army, the greatest army. He formed the Israelites into a people, a nation that he called my people. And all of this was done with no preconditions. There was none say, nothing saying to the Israelites, do this and then you'll be my people. No, God in his graciousness chose the people by his grace alone. No preconditions. The law is a gift of the redeeming God. So the law is not to be understood as a means of salvation but as instruction regarding the shape such a redeemed life should live. So let me say it this way. The Ten Commandments aren't a checklist of behaviors that we have to do to get God's favor. They aren't a ladder we use to climb up to God. They aren't the instruction manual for belief. Do these ten behaviors and you will be God's people. No. The commandments don't form the relationship with God. That has already been established. God has established it by his grace, which he does with us as well. Through our faith in Jesus Christ. He establishes the relationship with us. He's already established it. Then he gives the Ten Commandments to define and shape what that relationship looks like. They put a fence that keeps us within the relationship. They are the boundaries, but not the doorway. So the, the correct sequence is, I obey because I'm accepted. Not, I obey to be accepted. Isn't that true of our children as well? As you know, we just had, a month ago, another grandson. And I can tell you from firsthand experience, when there are newborns, all they can do is sleep, eat, and secrete bodily functions. <laughs> That's all they do. But they are loved from the very beginning. There's no question whether the child is going to be loved. The child is loved. They are in the relationship of that family. But as time goes on, there's going to be some expectations put on that child. The child is loved, accepted by the parents 
but there's certain expectations. That's what the Ten Commandments are like. God, in his infinite grace, has called us to himself, formed us into a family, and he says, now, my children, here's some of the expectations that will help maintain this relationship and will work better for you because that's how I designed life. So grace goes before the law. The law is a result of grace. But it also functions as a community builder. The law forms and informs community. The commandments are the founding documents of the people of God. They're like our, um, I was going to say our Ten Commandments. They're, they're like our in, uh, Declaration of Independence and our Constitution. They're an alternative way of doing community rather than the way we find in a fallen world. Just as our founding documents were an alternative to the government under King George VI, the Ten Commandments form an alternative community within this fallen world that we live in. They are a new way of being a nation. It's an alternative vision from life that they'd known in Egypt. And the structure of the Ten Commandments is instructive here. I think it helps us see that this is indeed true. God says, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of slavery. Introductory statement. And then the commandments begin. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make any graven image of me or other gods. You must keep my name holy. In other words, treat it as though it had significance. Those are three commandments, and they're all pointing to a primary relationship, the relationship between the creator and the creature. That's the primary relationship in, Christ, in, in life. And when we get that straight, then that should spread out into the horizontal relationships. And so the next seven then outline what we are to do uh, in the community. So, and you'll see that the commandments seem to be addressing individuals. They're telling you what to do, me what to do. And that's true. But the concern is more than private faith. The concern is about a collective concern. It is a concern that, the, that things not come into the community that could potentially destroy it. So the founding documents form the rule of law which protects the community. Saw a very disturbing news uh, report just uh, a week and a half ago. And it was done by a reporter who had traveled to the major cities in the United States and had filmed these things. And what it was was a smash and grab event. And what that is, if you're not aware with it, there are in urban areas in America, teenagers will go to big department stores, they'll smash the windows and take what's in the, the display places, the windows, um, display windows, or, and most often it happens like this, a mob will go into a department store together, grab merchandise, and run out. And that's happening more and more throughout the United States. Well, that's disturbing in, in of itself. But what's more disturbing is that the DAs in these cities are not prosecuting that crime. They say, well, it's hard to get evidence. And we have more pressing crimes to prosecute. We have, you know, these serious uh, violent crimes, and that's just a misdemeanor. So we're not going to prosecute them. The store simply tells the employees, let it go. Don't try to do anything. 
they simply write it off from their insurance. The insurance pays for it. Guess who ends up paying? Right, we do. Insurance rates go up, store prices go up, we pay for it. Then the students or the, the teenagers who do this have discovered that, first of all, they probably won't be prosecuted. But secondly, if they are, it's a misdemeanor and all will be done is be, they'll be given a, a fine, a small fine, and they've discovered that the fine is much smaller than the cost of the merchandise if they were to, to purchase it. So why not? Now, what's wrong with that? On the surface, we all know what's wrong with it. But at a deeper level, what's wrong with it is it undermines the rule of law because the prosecutors are saying, we're not going to prosecute that. Just on Friday, I saw another report. And it was about uh, property crimes in the United States. Seattle have gone up 200% in the last year. Los Angeles, they go on 250% in the last year. New York City, 400%. And you know what the DAs say? Well, those are just property crimes, and we have so many other serious crimes, and our jails are crowded, therefore we cannot prosecute them. To me, that's very, very disturbing. Who decides what they're going to prosecute and what they are not. If you get somebody who doesn't have interest in the rule of law, they're going to do whatever they want. What's wrong with them fundamentally is they, they, they harm the rule of law. No society can survive without the rule of law. And that's what the Ten Commandments are pointing to. They're establishing a community where God is the ruler and he directs the people how to live. And you see, we as believers then, we should live out this with a primary relationship with God and then that should be worked out and lived out in our everyday lives. So the lack of prosecution for these crimes and others that harms the community because of the rule of law is undermined and when the rule of law is undermined, it means that law simply becomes arbitrary, so citizens don't know what to expect. They can get away with that. I need that cash. Why can't I rob a bank? If the law is arbitrary, who decides what and who will be prosecuted? You can't have a healthy community that works for all if the rule of law is undermined. And when the law becomes arbitrary, everything and anything goes. Anarchy reigns. To help keep the rule of law, God gives us the most basic essentials that form and protect a healthy community. The Ten Commandments form the character of community by cultivating a deep and endearing love and loyalty to God who first loved us and rescues us from a slavery to sin. Then that love and loyalty extends not, to other, not out to others in the community, to the world and to all of creation. All right, that's a lot of stuff. But what have we learned so far about the Ten Commandments? That law is preceded by grace. So grace precedes law. 
And we've learned also that the, that the Ten Commandments are the foundation for community that forms and informs the community. But it also, the law reveals the character of God. God's nature is character displayed in the giving of the Ten Commandments. We have already, already seen the context of the giving of the Ten Commandments is God's graciousness. And in this narrative, we witness even more of who God is. God reveals himself to be a terrifying and a beckoning God. The whole scene of Moses receiving the Ten Commandments is otherworldly. It is mystical, it's magical, there's dark clouds, there's trembling earth, there's fire, there's smoke. It's like a Thor movie, or maybe the best of the Avenger movies. Moses goes up to the mountain, the people cannot. There's a boundary around the mountain through which they cannot go, and there he experiences this terrible and terrifying stuff. And all of this is apocalyptic language to give one point. And that is, it points to God's otherness. That God is totally transcendent. God is not us. He's not even the best of our best thinking. God is totally other. He is transcendent. He's not human. When the curtain is pulled back, we don't see a little man pulling levers, but we see that God the creator is greater than the creature. But there's more than God's total otherness. The flip side of God, if you could say that God has a B side, is that God is a beckoning God. God is calling his people to himself through Moses. God calls Moses up to the mountain to take his revelation down to the people. And God gives the gift of himself and he calls the Hebrew his people. The story of the Bible, there is one story that goes through the entire Bible. The story of the Bible from beginning to end is a narrative of God calling, beckoning his people to come. We see that in the garden where Adam and Eve have disobeyed God and they're hiding in shame. And God goes looking for them in the garden and he calls, Adam, where are you? And that's where the story of the beckoning God begins. And it goes all the way through the scripture until God is revealed in human flesh in Jesus Christ of Nazareth. And Jesus says of himself, I came to seek and to save that which was lost. We see throughout scripture the beckoning God who calls us to himself. And Jesus continues to call us, to beckon us. He says, come to me all you who are struggling hard and carrying heavy loads and I will give you rest. Put on my yoke, learn from me. I am gentle and humble and you'll find rest for yourselves my yoke is easy to bear and my burden is light. The terrifying and beckoning God is calling to you now and he wants you to know him as finally and completely revealed in Jesus Christ and God desires you to form an enduring and healthy community through you, the people of God. Therefore, he has given to you the Ten Commandments 
as his gracious act, as a profound joy to help you shape the community of faith. God is beckoning you to himself. Answer his call by being obedient to the Ten Commandments out of joy of having been called into God's eternal family. Amen. Let us pray. Loving God, we've come before you to open our hearts to you because you have called us to this moment. You have beckoned us to be here to hear your word proclaimed in the sacraments, in the word read and proclaimed in the songs. So Lord, open our hearts that we might hear your beckoning voice and respond, especially as we come together around your holy meal. For we pray it in the name of Christ our Lord. Amen.